Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your questions on how to be a great gift giver, how to raise polite children, whether or not ghosting or a direct approach is better, and how to intercept food other adults are giving to your kids. For Awesome Etiquette Sustaining members, our question of the week is about whether or not to order from a restaurant where you have a weekly club meeting. Plus your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript on getting ready to invite guests for the holidays. All that's coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of our home offices in Vermont and is proud to be produced by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. And we're back in the natural order of things. We, we are. It took us a minute to get here today, but we are on mic. We are happy to be recording our podcast. I've, I I just have had a grin on my face since Sunday. We're, we're recording this um, much ahead of time. So audience, I apologize, but we're we're going to talk about the football game I just got to go to. <laughs> Where the Do tell Lizzie Post. The Saints beat the Patriots in Gillette. This happened on uh, September 26th, and I got to go down to the game. You guys heard me getting excited about it. I put on as much Saints stuff as I could possibly have. I had a fleur-de-lis on my cheek. I had my hat. I had my Reggie Bush jersey, which, by the way, I really need a new jersey. And I had Houdat written on my arms, which is our cheer. And so that was fun. Whenever we whenever we scored, my arms went up, and I had big old Houdats facing, facing and the team. And there was plenty of that. There was plenty of that in that particular game. And the thing I really want to talk about, because it's, it's, it's not the bragging rights of the fact that we won in Gillette against the Patriots. Had it been against Tom Brady, I think it would have been even more impressive but might have felt a little might different. have felt a little more fun but what I will say is that my my best friend is from New Orleans. She's an ICU nurse down there. And I texted her that I was at the game. And she texted me that she's at work in her gear, Saints gear, that is. And she said, good luck. The pay, like New England fans are brutal. And I was like prepared for this, you know, I was, I was prepared for being, you know, front row in a Patriots section wearing all my Saints gear. And I got to say, New England fans were so polite. They were so nice. They gave me just the right amount of razzing, which was very little. And they they did all the things they needed to do, right? They they tried to be as loud as they could when my team was on offense. They tried they tried all the things. But nobody kind of gave crud or was mean in any kind of way. They they really weren't even picking that much. When my team would score or something, they would look at me and say, like, good job, good job. And I made sure to clap and stand whenever the Patriots had something good going on. 
Uh, it was all incredibly polite, but the thing that I really took notice of was that as we walked out of the stadium and Saints fans are hoodatting each other like along the way, talking about where we're from and all that kind of stuff. So many Patriots fans said, congratulations, good win, congratulations, good win on the way out. And they were just so genuinely polite about it. My response was, it was really kind of you guys to let us win on your home turf. Feels really great. Really appreciate the hospitality. And it was just like they're complimenting a team that just beat them on their home turf. It's like, you know, you got to be polite right back. But I was I was genuinely thrilled at just how kind all the fans were to us uh, Saints fans as we walked out of that stadium. So a big, big etiquette, awesome etiquette salute to all of the Patriots fans who were at the game. Uh, you really made us feel welcome and, and really appreciated your good sportsmanship. Lizzie Post, I'm going to be a bad sport. I'm sitting here kind of glowing, just like taking credit for it, almost as if the fan base is a child of mine or a family that I'm a part of somehow. You're so proud. I've been to that stadium so many times and always on the the other side, always cheering for the home team. And I've been nice to fans visiting, particularly from Miami. I've been at a couple of Miami games and been nice to some Miami (laughs) folks. And I'm just delighted that that was your experience. It's what I would hope that you would encounter there. I, I have had so much fun, and it's it's nice to hear that you did also. I, I knew that you were planning to gear up for the game. <laughs> and I was just thinking to myself, you're so much braver than I am. I love that you took a chance and went for it <laughs> and wore your colors and, and that, it, that it not just worked out, but that it was a really good experience. I love it. I love it. It, it gets me into it. It, you know, it makes yelling and, and calling things out and everything so much more fun when you're just like totally decked out in your team's gear. <laughs> well, and, and, and easy to be a, a gracious winner. <laughs> thanks thanks yeah uh but no it was it was a really awesome experience so a a big thank you to all the patriots fans out there who who made it such even on the way out thanks for sharing it i hope we get to go together someday and it'll be a while before the saints come back so maybe we'll even be rooting for the same team maybe 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 or you and i could once it's safe uh hop a flight to new orleans (laughs) if they ever play done done (laughs) i have had more fun watching super bowl in new orleans than any other city and i haven't even been into the stadium yet (laughs) it's incredible all right well our football plans for the future aside do you think we should get to some questions today we actually have a lot of short questions i feel like this is going to be a boom 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 kind of show let's do it Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions. You can email them to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Leave a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or you can reach us on social media. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette with your social media posts so that we know you want your question on the show. Awesome Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture 
all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Our first question this week is about better gifting. Hello, awesome etiquette team. I've been pondering how to become a better gift giver. While I consider myself a thoughtful person, I struggle to come up with gift ideas for my friends and family. How do you learn to choose thoughtful and meaningful gifts for those around you? With much respect, Natalie. She, her, hers. Natalie, thanks so much for asking. It's a it's a great question. How do you? It, it almost seems like a very, very mysterious one because I think I've got two really simple answers for this. And I'm curious to hear what you have to say. But my thought is that you can do two things. Asking is a great way to go. Asking people what they would like, actively talking to them about their interests, about gifts that they've loved in the past, things like that. It doesn't just have to be, what do you want for your birthday? It can be like, what are some things you've loved getting over the years? Like, you know, I'm, I'm trying to become a better gift giver. <laughs> and I think that those are things that can ins- definitely uh, be inspiration. But I also think noticing is like the second best way to go. When, you know, you're all at that family birthday party or the family holiday where gifts might be a part of the exchange and you notice the things that people get really excited about. It's good to pay attention to that sort of thing. I know my mother loves getting stuff for the kitchen, whether it's a book, whether it's spices or a special ingredient, maybe even a really decadent ingredient. (laughs) I've seen her use them over the years. I've seen her engage with that kind of stuff. My father, my father is like would spend 24 hours a day on a golf course if he could. Anything golf related for him, probably not silly stuff because he doesn't, he doesn't love jokey things so much, but he loves stuff that he will use. So golf balls, gloves, personalized teas or something like that. I feel like there's so many different things that could be easy gifts for him. So by just noticing and paying attention, what people get excited about, what they talk about a lot in their life, what they've said was a great gift in the past, uh, you can really pick up a lot. Lizzie Post, this is such a short question and I have such a long answer. Oh, please, please. I love hearing you talk. 
you were saying, well, so, you know, I'm going to say a few of these things and I was thinking to myself, oh, I've got this long list of things. Then I said to myself, oh, a list. That's a great way to give better gifts. Start <laughs> That's keeping really a true. List. That's really true. <laughs> but your your idea of just asking someone and noticing and really paying attention, listening and observing, those were two things that were not on my list. And I'm so glad you led with them because I think that's really the, almost the, the best possible advice that we could give. <laughs> So Allow what else? I want to know. I want to know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> think of these as like those less used tools in the toolbox, okay. but they're all there when you when you need them for that special job. <laughs> so it's not your hammer or your screwdriver, but it's some of the others that we use regularly. <laughs> and we'll call this your your design plans, okay. and it'll shift from project to project. But <laughs> I, I can't answer a question about gifting without returning to the oldest cliche and just saying it really is the thought that counts. It's true. Go, go back to thinking about the person, thinking about just who they are, but why they matter to you, mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. it is about them and their relationship with you that that makes them someone you want to give a gift to. And that's going to bring you to that place of generosity, that spirit of caring and connection that's going to give the gift its real significance. And it's also going to put you in the right frame of mind for thinking about someone and and trying to pick something for them that they're going to like and that you're going to like giving them. I really think that that intention setting is such an important part of gift giving because it carries through the whole process. Totally. I love your idea of listening and noticing because it, it plays into the more general, not as specific advice that I love suggesting to get something that someone's going to like. Mm-hmm. Really think about them and what they enjoy, what their interests are, what their passions are, what delights them. and. And try to think of something that that supports that. Another route that you can go is think about the relationship and specifically what connects you. Is there some shared interest or is it that you connect over something and a gift that really honors the relationship that you share with someone is another way to go. It might not be the thing that they like the most, but it's supportive of of your relationship and how you connect. Oh, I like that one. Yeah. Another thought, and this is risky because I know Lizzie Post has mixed feelings about it, but (laughs) I'm going to take that risk because I got a really nice phone call from my brother about a week ago. And my brother is the classic taciturn Vermonter. He does not speak much. And when he does speak, it's usually about a who, what, where, when (laughs) type of information exchange. We don't talk a lot about our feelings and things like that. Yeah. Um, He called to tell me that he was really appreciating me and thinking about what a good gift giver I was because he was so enjoying the gifts that I'd given him the last two Christmases. And they were things that he used every day. And the advice that I would pass on that he was telling me he really appreciated was the risk that I sometimes take of getting somebody something that I really like myself. Yeah. And it's something that I would want to share with them. That's not something that I would be on their list or something they'd even be thinking of. It's a a chance gift, a left field gift. And when they strike, they can be really awesome. So if there is a particular thing that you've discovered that you just love, that you want to share with someone, and you think that they might actually like that exploration, it's another way to go. If you think about the things that that have really surprised and delighted you or that you get a lot of satisfaction from and you can share them and it's a spirit of sharing, not a spirit of giving somebody something that they're never going to use that doesn't fit them. 
Okay, okay, cuz. So let me let me clarify a little bit for our audience. I actually I think for all the reasons you just listed that getting something that you like while it can be risky can be a really great way to to share and to be showing consideration with a gift. There's definitely when it's in that zone and I think you hit the key element of it's something that you like that you think they might really like or appreciate too. I think that's the that's that key element there. You know what I mean? And, yes. And that makes all the difference in the world. It's also a really great fallback when you're really uncertain about what you'd like to give to somebody and you don't have the opportunity to either notice or you don't have the opportunity to ask. And so I or think to really track down and source right. something that might be hard to find. Exactly. Or. Cause exactly. And it does have that wonderful spirit with it of sharing that, that I think comes across so well. I really love and value this thing or appreciate it or have been excited about it. And I wanted to extend that possibility to you. And that's again, the thought that you're coming right back to that first point of the thought that counts. So that just to clarify my stance, it is definitely a worthwhile gifting avenue to pursue. I acknowledge your caution with that advice because I am also the person who discovered yoga in my 20s <laughs> and spent five years giving everyone yoga props and accessories <laughs> because I just loved it so much and I wanted to expose everyone that I loved to it. I and wish I had been on your gift list during those years. <laughs> I spent so many years finding those yoga blocks and props, you know, gathering dust in the backs of closets <laughs> that I, I finally learned the lesson. I want to connect the advice about getting something that you really like to the idea of listing mm -hmm. because it can be really helpful over the course of a year when you have these little moments where you're using that thing in the garage and it makes your life so much easier. Mm -hmm. If you can connect that moment to a, my father likes to do this kind of thing, my brother likes to do this kind of thing, my brother-in-law likes to do this kind of thing, all of a sudden you've got a potential – three people, three items, and it, it doesn't take too many of those inspirations before you start to have some really good options on a list for multiple people, oftentimes multiple options. Do you mean the, like one gift that suits all of those people? Or do you mean like like you, you're paying attention and you start to kind of know the good gifting zones for each of these people? Both. Oh. <laughs> but, but quite specifically, oh, I'm loving having this high-frequency radio that lets me pick up the sports channel that broadcasts That's from the, the other side of the mountain. That's the one you gave to Will that was a really good gift. <laughs> that radio went on the list next to like six people, yeah. you know, and I think maybe three of them ended up getting a version of that radio. Oh, cool. Yeah. So it's not that everybody gets everything on their list, but when it comes time for that holiday shopping or I'm at the radio store or whatever it is, <laughs> I know that I could either grab three of them or four of them, or I could check a couple people off the list or I could say, oh, I'm not going to get to the second or third thing on that list. I'm going to grab this one. It starts to be that that grid of options mm -hmm. that I think gets me called back a year and a half later. Woo, woo. <laughs> I have a final, final, final thought okay. for building gift lists, yes. which is another place I sometimes go is I think to myself, high quality. Yes. And I think about something that somebody uses all the time or a, a type of thing that they use all the time. And high quality doesn't necessarily mean expensive. But if you get somebody something that's really well made, that's going to last a long time, mm -hmm. that serves a role or a function in their life, 
Maybe it's something that replaces something that they use, but is something that wears out periodically mm -hmm. or something like that. Choosing a really high quality item, it doesn't need to be expensive, is a way to give a gift that I think has lasting impact. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes the the moment of opening it is, oh, this is great. It does the thing that I've already got something that does it. But six months later, when that other thing is gone and this is still there, that gift has a real lasting quality. And then a year and a half later, or five years later, when it's still there, it's still that gift from you that's carrying hopefully that good intention you said at the start of the process. So one of my favorite high quality zones is is in the, the simple, it, just what you said, the simple everyday stuff that you can get kind of the the higher quality version of and for me that that often comes in the form of gourmet foods or specialty foods you know when i think about getting my mom a selection of spices i go for the organic ones or or the ones that come in that i can i can scoop really out fresh, from bulk and well put in sourced. a really beautiful you know like little jar for her or as you were just thinking, I could do a mix of things so I could I could make some different sets of things together. But choosing that higher quality version of the item does make it a little more special, you know, than than sort of my, my everyday, my everyday one. And sometimes even the presentation can make a difference there. Like I said, with those spices, sometimes I'll make a, a mix of them that go really well together and put them in a really beautiful jar for her. And I notice that those things stick around, that those things are seen in the in that kitchen spice cabinet or you know and it, it it makes me feel good like oh oh cool this is a really basic thing but my mom really appreciated it i love that idea of presentation being important it's another way you can invest in that gift lizzie post i could keep going i know this and i think we're probably going to have opportunities to talk about gift giving again so you think for now <laughs> Natalie, thank you so much for this question. We really appreciate the opportunity to talk about gift giving early in the holiday season. Oh, my dear. It's beautiful. Oh. How did you know? I mean, it's the very one I want. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Our next question is titled, Raising Polite Kids. Hi, I just saw your post on Instagram. I have two daughters, ages 12 and 14. I have tried to instill manners and etiquette with them in how they behave and eat, but it's almost like they intentionally choose the opposite. How do I successfully explain to them the importance of manners and etiquette and get them to exhibit those behaviors? Anonymous. Anonymous, thank you so much for the question. I think that if I had the the really good answer to this question, I would be an expert who would be in demand far, far beyond the etiquette field. Yes. <laughs> the idea that adolescents and those entering their teen years don't listen, don't want to listen, and in fact are even doing their jobs, their developmental jobs by testing and challenging the people that are responsible for them and who are responsible for teaching them 
how to join the adult community is a reality that parents and those who are responsible for kids and young adults have to deal with. And it is not easy. Nope. Having said all that, we do have some answers in the etiquette world that I think can be really helpful. And I would be completely remiss if I didn't start an answer to a question like this by mentioning the guide to good manners for kids and mm -hmm. table manners mm -hmm. for kids. Mm -hmm. Excellent, These excellent books. <laughs> two books written by my mother that are designed for children at this developmental stage. And I call them our puberty books because they serve the role that those books about puberty that a lot of parents buy for kids serve. But for manners. provides <laughs> – but for manners, <laughs> there you go. and it, it provides a resource that they can turn to if they don't want to ask the question to you directly, mm -hmm. if they're curious about something, if there's something that they're interested in, but they don't want to go ask mom about it because the last thing they want to do is ask mom about anything at that stage. It's there for them and it's available. And it, it, it sounds kind of funny that manners would be a topic that might be like that for kids or social expectations in general, not just table manners. But it really is. It's those are the the questions that are really relevant and mattering to kids mm -hmm. at that age. They're working very hard to start making their own choices and to make them well. And they're reckoning with all of the social consequences that stem from the decisions that they make and the chances they take. I think those books are a good place to start. I have to mention them. But that thought transitions me to the advice that I would really want to give, mm -hmm. which is keep talking to them, keep talking to them, not just about the expectation, but about the reasons for those expectations. Talk to them about why it's important to treat people well, why it's important to honor and respect people by observing social expectations in certain spaces like restaurants or even just at the dinner table. Mm -hmm. Talk about how those manners have functioned as part of social cohesion and group formation. And if that's too much, just talk about how much more pleasant it is to spend time with people who pay attention to those things and ask them to notice their friends, what they see people doing, not doing, and what they like and don't like to interact with and to start making some choices for themselves based on how they're seeing those things working. That's ultimately the, the place that you want to get them to. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you just start working that process. Lizzie Post, I could keep going and going, but I want to let you get your voice in here as well. I know there are some things that you want to say about this too. Oh, thanks, because this question so reminded me of my own experience uh, growing up. I, I was a, a wild child. I believe fresh was a word that often got used to describe no. me. Um, but one of the things that I think really grounded me was that my mother and 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 I know it seems so classic but my mother had excellent manners she answered the phone with a pleasant tone in her voice and she always used the magic words and she is so that voice in my head that i hear telling me how to do the right thing. And I don't mean to put the fork on the left, but to hold my temper when someone in customer service is being frustrating or even rude to me. She's that voice that always ends something with a, a thank you or, or an I'm sorry if we have to agree to disagree or something like that. It's unbelievable how much my mother was such a good example that like, I feel it guiding me all the time. And 
I was, you know, rambunctious and not wanting to deal with things. And I thought, you know, slurping your spaghetti was funny when I was 10 or 12 and all of that. And she just kept showing me the good example, even when her patience was running out. And my mother wasn't a saint. She had moments too. But for the most part, she always put this I won't say best foot, but this great foot forward in her interactions with everyone around her, whether that's um, at least the ones that I would see in front of her children. She was, you know, I mean, and and parents are, are real people, too. They get angry. They get embarrassed. They have frustrating moments. They have moments where they let loose. And, and all that is true in my family as well. But the majority of the time I was watching my mother behave well. And it just paved such a way through my teens when I was trying to be rebellious, when I was trying to push boundaries, which teens are supposed to do. And it sounds like your girls are right at that age, 12 and 14, where this is going to really start to come out and, and challenge and exhaust you as you're trying to deal with it. But trust that as they grow up, as they have more interactions outside their life, they are going to be thinking back to their parents and how their parents handle their friends, how their parents handle their siblings and and parents, you know, so the grandparents. As long as you provide that great example, you're giving them something to lean back on, something to to watch and understand. And even if they're not using it in the moment, I guarantee you that when they're not around you, they are thinking, how would mom handle this? And like you said, Dan, you know, I could go on and on and on about how strongly I feel this, how much I lean into it ever since I left home at 18, you know, and it was just my mom is my grounding example of what I should do. I'm very fortunate and grateful that that I had a mom to follow like that. But the more you can be that, I think the better chance your girls have, especially when they're on their own operating in the world. Lizzie, I remember when we used to say that it was important for parents to model the behavior that they wanted to see in their kids. Mm-hmm. And we stopped using that language on purpose because – Ultimately, it wasn't just about picking your moments and modeling good behavior. It was about being the kind of parent that you wanted your kids ultimately to be. And that's the kind of standard I hear you talking about here, that it's important what you say where I started this question. But ultimately, in the long term, what matters most is what you do and holding yourself really accountable and remembering that, that you are the standard. You are going to be the measuring stick that these children or that these people use for the rest of their life. And, and this is your chance. This is your opportunity is I think probably the best possible advice. Well done Lizzie post. Cause you just, you, you use that beautiful word that we love so much as inspiration around here. It's your opportunity as opposed to your obligation. So when, when you're feeling like they're really trying your patience, Remember that this is one more opportunity for you to show them how to do it right or to even talk with them about how it's hard sometimes to do it right, but that it's still worth making that effort. Anonymous, we truly could talk about this topic all day long. Mostly what we hope is that our answer inspires you to keep up the good work, keep going after it, keep manners and civility present in your everyday and that truly will shine through to your children you mean that's all there is to table manners just what we've talked about oh no but you already know a great deal and you can learn still more by watching mother dad and other people who have good manners the main thing is 
is to practice at home so that table manners will come naturally and I won't have to think about them when I'm out. You can't miss. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Our next question continues with a theme about ghosting that we've been considering on this show for a few episodes now. This question is titled, Is Ghosting Really Necessary? Hello, I read something recently on social media talking about an alternative to ghosting. It gave the advice that it would be kind to tell someone that they just don't fit in your life anymore, or something to that effect, instead of ghosting. I've been thinking, how would I handle it if someone told me that? I don't handle ghosting very well. But I'm on the fence about a direct approach. What do you think? Wondering in Vermont. Wondering in Vermont. I feel like I am right standing next to you in this one. I probably don't love ghosting very much as you're kind of like, what happened? Why Why won't this person respond to me anymore? Have I overdone it in reaching out? Or is it, especially right now during these kind of strange pandemic times, just like this pandemic social burnout that has been happening. And at the same time, I'm not certain that a direct approach is a good one either. I, I think, Dan, that as I've been mulling over this question in my head, I don't mind the direct approach when it comes to dating, because I think it's important to be clear with someone that you don't want to see them anymore. And I think Mm -hmm. we're relatively familiar with that, whether it's a, you know, this was really nice, but I don't think it's a fit for me. Thanks so much for for going out with me and getting to know me a little bit. Or if it's a, I have to end a relationship, you know, I really think this isn't working anymore and that we should go our separate ways. I think those are really fine. They're, they're fine, fine ways to address an ending, but I have a much harder time signing off from an etiquette perspective or an Emily post etiquette perspective on the idea that when you no longer want to be friends with someone, you should tell them that. And I I think about friendships that have kind of disappeared over time that either I miss or I'm like, Oh geez, come on. You could have just told me if you don't want to hang out anymore. I'm like, But really? Really? Would you have wanted that conversation, Lizzie? I also think by not sort of directly ending things with friends, that you leave the door open for change in the future. I've I've had people in my life who I've been grateful that we didn't have some kind of friendship breakup talk because three, four, five years down the line, we reconnect and they're in a different place. I'm in a different place and, and there's space for our friendship again. So I don't know. Maybe maybe we can also touch on business relationships or something, but I feel like dating, yes, friendships, no. I found myself doing a very similar thing when I thought about this question. Yeah. I was saying to myself, well, try to think back to a time when there wasn't the complication of, is this happening on social media? Is this happening via text, via a dating app? H- how did this happen between real people interacting in the real world? And It's not uncommon, as you point out, for you to have a friend that you hang out with for a period of time around a a 
time in your life or an yep. interest that you have or maybe it's seasonal. I certainly have my fantasy football friends and <laughs> – you know, dance friends who I don't see so much when we're not dancing during a pandemic. There's there's a certain ebb and flow. And as you point out, there don't need to be big dramatic transition moments that don't allow for that to continue in a natural way. Mm -hmm. I did find myself thinking like you that in a romantic relationship, I think your cost benefit analysis changes a little bit. The mm -hmm. The cost of being clear and explicit about a conclusion or an ending, I think, also brings with it some rewards in terms of what it opens up in terms of possibility, what it brings for people in terms of clarity about where the relationship is or isn't going. So that cost-benefit analysis changes and, and, and the social expectations change when there's something potentially romantic about that relationship. So I, I was doing – Right off the bat, exactly what you did as I was thinking about relationships just happening in person as a way to imagine how I would handle that in all of the tech spaces where I think the term ghosting is so often applied these days and where a lot of people's current curiosity is. I feel like I've been trying to manage my own ghosted experiences <laughs> as, as, as something rather than try to manage the idea of the ending of a friendship or something like that, you know, instead trying to get into that space of this is what happens. People do fall out of touch with each other. Sometimes it's intentional. Sometimes it's not because you're left with that kind of blank space that ghosting creates for myself. I try for one or two outreaches, may maybe a third, if it's a friend that I'm pretty convinced still wants to be a friend, but maybe, you know, maybe I got something wrong or maybe the time just isn't a good time in their life to be, be a friend. It can be hard to sometimes get back on track with a friendship or, or keep one going. But after a couple outreaches, if I'm really not hearing anything back, I, I tend to drop things too. I tend to just leave it at that. And I, I try to, to do the open heart thing of just say, you know, if this person is interested in hanging out with me, if they're interested in spending time with me, they will let me know that. I feel like pandemic has added an extra layer to all of this. I can remember back in the really hard times of January and February of 2021 of this year, where it was Vermont, COVID, we didn't have vaccines yet. It was just a really hard time. We we at that time were not allowed to hang out and socialize. We had mandates on on sort of how many households could get together and that sort of thing. And And I was abiding by them. And I remember thinking, well, I've just lost this couple as friends. Like they're just there. I can't believe they've never called. I can't believe there's no text messages between us. And when we were able to get back together after vaccinations in the spring, the couple and myself both admitted to each other that there were a lot of hesitating moments where we had like typed out text messages, but then deleted them thinking, no, like if they wanted to know, they would have gotten in touch, you know, both kind of assuming the same things and then not reaching out. And it was really good when we finally did connect both to clear the air about that and to remind me for going into this winter, reach out to them. They're not trying to get rid of you as a friend. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. And you're starting to get to something that I was really curious about here. And yep. I was thinking about the the directionality of friendships and who's initiating and who's responding. And 
I like your kind of natural accounting where you say to yourself, how many times have I issued an invitation? Mm-hmm. And an accounting of, okay, so that hasn't landed a couple of times. Maybe a third time is mm-hmm. yep. is going to be my last shot, but maybe not even. I might take note, okay, I tried, I tried again. It's really something I'm interested. That, that third might creep in there, but mm-hmm. give it some time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. And I think that's a pretty natural place coming the other way also. I think that if you ignore a couple invitations, that is enough to communicate to most people that you're not interested. Mm-hmm. It's hard if it's a specific invitation because you are supposed to respond if someone's really invited right. you to a specific thing. So I wouldn't ignore something that direct. But if it's more sort of a general feeling out, are you interested in this kind of thing or that kind of thing, group requests, sometimes you can scale back your participation by just not participating as much. Mm-hmm. That's a, a version of ghosting, but I think it's also a pretty socially coherent version of it in terms of our social expectations of each other. Yeah. I think that if there's a particular thing, like we've gotten into a routine of meeting up on Tuesdays for a certain show, or if there's a real rhythm that's developed an expectation in the relationship that you're going to change, I think those sometimes warrant explanations. And I like where you're I, thinking about this, because I also think that those are easier to explain because you can explain them from your perspective. And I wanted to get into this before we left the question, which mm-hmm. is that your reasons for pulling back from a friendship or changing a routine like that can have everything to do with you and nothing to do with someone else. Mm -hmm. And if you are giving someone else the courtesy of explaining why you're changing or altering what might have been a social expectation that developed between you, really keeping the focus on yourself and your choices is the way that I would focus that discussion. So I'm trying to spend more time with my spouse. So I'm going to bow out of our Tuesday nights for now because I really need to be spending that time with my family or at home. Yeah. Makes perfect sense. I now as the other person understand that I'm not going to be anticipating doing that, that it's not something that's going to change next week. It wasn't a one-time excuse. It was about altering this routine. And it also wasn't about me. I'm getting bored. The show didn't last well and neither did our friendship. (laughs) It doesn't need to be something like that. It can really be about you. And that's the art of good etiquette, how you build and set those boundaries in your life Mm -hmm. with kind and benevolent truths that aren't necessarily harsh or hurtful for other people, but also give them enough information to, to have a good relationship with you moving forward. Wondering in Vermont, this is a great question. Thank you for giving us a chance to explore it on the show. And we want to hear from more of our audience on this one. What do you guys think about ghosting? What do you think about ending things directly with friendships as opposed to relationships? Definitely get your feedback in. We want to hear more voices on this topic. Well, Johnny's rude and so. He doesn't think of others. He won't take turns. And he always seems to be mad at somebody, always shouting or bossing us around. You don't think he really wants to be that way, do you? Maybe he doesn't mean to be selfish, but he is. Our next question is titled Food Interception. 
very football themed. Hello, I'm a longtime listener, but can't recall if you've answered this question. Do you have any advice or sample scripts for parents hoping to graciously intercept a food offering like a piece of candy or other sweet treat from another adult to your child? Thank you, Anonymous. Anonymous, thank you for the question. So the answer is you got to be really quick. <laughs> so just be natural, you know, just be really natural and then just snatch it <laughs> before it gets into their hand. <laughs> As a parent, you get to set some boundaries in life that we rarely get to set for other people. And um, what kind of food kids eat is a big one. And what kind of gifts kids receive is a second one. Those are the yeah. two classic parent etiqueting areas where... <laughs> You really have some appropriate authority to to step in and set the parameters. If you can do it ahead of time, that's always the best. So if mm -hmm. you can head it off before they get the confection in their eyes, you can see it <laughs> reflecting <laughs> off their glossy little eyeballs as they get wide. To me, that's always the, 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 the opportune time. And it is okay. It is okay to talk to other parents, talk to grandparents, talk to – the mossies and massages about yeah, what are calls. appropriate and what isn't appropriate in terms of your expectations. And, and that can change. It can change over the course of the day. It could be it's too close to nap time. It's too close to bedtime. Yep. So what looked like a perfectly normal treat a little earlier in the day might not be appropriate at this moment. Snatch. Yep. It really is OK. You can <laughs> you can intercede. And the expansion of the advice is it's always good to offer good and reasonable explanations both to the person who's making the offering and to the child who's been denied the offering. If you weren't able to head it off before it was offered in front of them, letting them know what the boundary is, what the limit is, and they're probably familiar with it, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. is really respectful. And really addressing that to both of them is, to me, where the good parenting comes mm -hmm, in mm -hmm, if you're mm -hmm. interceding in that particular moment. Because you've totally nailed the parent side of this, and I think you've, you've given us such good places to go to both ahead of time and in the moment that it's it's okay to kind of stop the thing even if it's been given. And you got to say, oh, I'm sorry, honey. You know, Uncle Jim didn't know that we don't eat treats before nap time, but let's cover it up and save it. Or it's unfortunately something we, we don't tend to eat, so we're going to have to put it away. I think those are both fine things to do. But I also really want to talk to people who have kids in their lives and like people like me who don't have kids or, or people who have kids and have a different set of rules for them. It's really important to always ask a parent before you offer something exciting and wonderful to a kid, whether it's a gift or it's a sweet treat or it's the promise of an adventure. Um, I know that I always try to check in with my sister and her husband or whichever one of them is on kid duty at that moment. <laughs> no parents are always on kid duty. Um whether it's, hey, can we go for a walk around the neighborhood or go take the kids to my house for a dog visit, something like that. Or it's, oh, I wanted to bring, you know, these cookies that I made by is tonight a good night for it. I know that my sister and her husband really appreciate that and that it makes it easier for them to stick to the boundaries and the goals that they have for their kids. It's been really fun watching them introduce sweet treats to the kids' routines and things like that. And like, like there are special things that we do and 
like after nap when they're at Papa and Lala's house on the weekends, they get these little teeny tiny mini ice cream cones that we make for them. And they will wake up from their naps and the first thing they, they want is that ice cream cone. So sometimes it's really about paying attention to what parents are trying to achieve and being a really good supporter of that. So it's just my call out to everyone who's got kids in their lives, but they're not the parent. <laughs> Lizzie Post, I want to give you an etiquette gold star. <laughs> I want to give your kids a lot of sugar and see what happens. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we're, we're pretty much running that experiment on the daily. I know. Right I'm now. just like you guys. You guys don't have too many boundaries. You're very like while you guys cook really good food for the kids. I feel like you guys also allow them to to go treat wild when they when they want to on the vineyard. It was. I've got to say. On the vineyard, it was so much fun to go to the candy store that Dan and I went to as kids after our lemonade stands and things like that and take the girls and, and show them the things that we loved getting. I think they got like candy necklaces that you and I were both really like excited about. The same rock candy lollipop yes, that rock candy. I bought there as a child and my mother probably bought there yep. as a child. Unbelievable. <laughs> Anonymous, thank you for the question about the food interception. I wish I had better advice for how to get that snatch happening in a really fluid way. You just got to be quick, right? Stay relaxed. <laughs> take a breath. Like let it flow out of you. Just grab real fast. <laughs> thank you for the question. We hope our answer helps. But did Bill leave his pop and candy only half eaten? No, sir. He emptied that pop bottle as fast as he could. He gobbled down all his candy. Everything tastes good. Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates or feedback on our answers to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also reach us on social media. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at Emily Post Institute. And on Facebook, we are Awesome Etiquette. Just remember, use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette with your post so that we know you want your question on the show. If you love Awesome Etiquette, please consider becoming a sustaining member, where memberships start at just a dollar per month by visiting us at patreon.com slash awesome etiquette. You'll get an ads-free version of the show and access to bonus content and questions. Plus, you'll feel great knowing that you help keep Awesome Etiquette on the air. To those of you who are already sustaining members, thank you so much for your support. It's time for our feedback segment where we hear from you about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. Today we have feedback from episode 309 about pictures of baby bumps. Dear Lizzie and Dan, I am writing to offer some perspective on the question from episode 309 about responding to requests for baby bump photos. I recently had my first child. Like the question asker, certain close family members and friends requested bump photos during my pregnancy. A sign of the COVID times, I suppose. The few photos I sent in response are some of the only photos I have of myself while pregnant. I was not super keen on taking bump photos because, like the question asker, I had some discomfort with my changing body. Also, I was putting little effort into my appearance because I was rarely leaving home due to COVID. I completely agree that the question asker should not share bump photos if they are not comfortable doing so. However, I suggest that the question asker consider taking some, or more, bump photos for their own memories if they aren't already. 
Now that I am no longer pregnant, I really wish I had more photos from that time. I don't have a single one from the last few weeks before baby arrived. The question asker may feel differently about their pregnant body once it is gone and be glad to have some photos to look back on. If not, they can simply delete the photos. All the best to you both, as well as to the question asker, Anonymous. Anonymous, thank you for that feedback. We also had feedback today from Michaela on episode 365's question about how to handle international birthday gifts from family and friends when you're living abroad. I have some feedback on the question from a listener living overseas who wasn't receiving gifts or packages the way she was expecting. I have lived abroad in the past and have also had family members who have as well and have run into similar issues. One thing that wasn't discussed or considered was the possibility that some might be hesitant to use international websites or to ship internationally just because it is unknown to them. I have family members who didn't want to order from websites based in other countries because they personally were unsure about the security of the website, despite being reputable in the country of origin. Or they didn't trust that a package sent overseas would make it over the sea, despite <laughs> being told exactly how to fill out the shipping information. Or the currency conversion on the website was off-putting for whatever reason. An alternative that we found to work well was for those bigger gift-giving occasions. My parents would share with our family that they would be shipping a gift to me and that others were welcome to include their gifts in the shipment. That way family members could purchase something from somewhere they know and trust and trust that the shipping provider, my parents, knew how best to get the package to me and that it would arrive safely. In my case, my parents covered the full international shipping cost, but I'm sure there's a considerate way to go about asking for others to contribute towards that. I hope this helps the birthday girl, Michaela. Michaela, thank you so much for that suggestion. It is truly helpful advice for a sticky situation. Let's keep those gifts flowing. Thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please keep them coming. You can send your feedback or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. It's time for our postscript where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And even though it is still October, now is the perfect time to start thinking about our holiday plans, especially when it comes to anything that might involve travel. Getting ahead of the game, reaching out with your invitations early can make all the difference. Dan, I'm thinking about our, our classic like Thanksgiving even even a little further down the road, the December holidays and the new year are things to be thinking of. Is it really of. this time of year already? I know, it is. I know, I it know, is. I know. I was really trying to get ahead of it with our postscripts and make sure that we're not hitting people the week that you might see people arriving, but ahead of time to plan. And one well of done, because I'm already <laughs> feeling bad because I'm falling down on the Thanksgiving holiday planning that I'm supposed to be helping to coordinate with Cousin Joe in Boston, and I'm I'm just failing, and the time is running out. It's five weeks away or six. I won't lie. This was heavily inspired by the fact that I heard, I heard, I overheard, I was eavesdropping on my mother, who was on the phone with either Billy or Maureen, talking about 
how we were all going to handle Christmas this year and that maybe we wouldn't be doing the big post-family gathering and not just because of COVID, but because everyone's got grandkids now and the day's just so full and maybe we'll just do a, a little gathering outside or we'll gather the next day, like changes are afoot. And so it, it got me thinking about, frankly, Thanksgiving, which which comes earlier <laughs> on the timeline. Okay, can I interrupt for just oh, one second? Yeah, sure, sure. Total personal story interruption here, which is that <laughs> the generation above me did the same thing on the sending side. Oh, did they? They announced midsummer that they were no longer responsible for the big sending family Thanksgiving. <laughs> That it was just too much to organize that 40 were people done. and three turkeys and if if we all wanted it and they were sure that we did and they loved having it, but that it was time for the next generation to stand up and stop counting on them to do it. So anyway, that was my moment of panic at the start of the call because <laughs> sort of a, a similar change in a generational Agenda. holiday party yeah. is – is uh, causing a little bit of anxiety in my life. So if you are thinking of changing things, definitely speak up with your family now. But for, for most folks, there are a lot of traditions and probably traditional guest lists that that happen this time of year. And right now, at the end of October, is a really good time to be thinking about exactly how you want your holiday to go if you are hosting and to be reaching out and making those invitations within the next week or so so that folks can prepare, they can get their bearings straight. So really taking the time to to think about that guest list, think about who you need to call and coordinate with to make this happen, who you might need to check in if you're co-organizing something, or in the case of Dan's family, who it is that you will be passing the torch to, whether they want it or not. Um, but these are these are all things that lead us to something we talked about a couple of weeks ago, which was inviting well. And when it comes to these big group gatherings, we're often going to be asking folks to bring something, right? It's often a community meal or a community experience. Maybe if you're not bringing food, you're bringing some form of entertainment. I love the fact that Dan's parents always get us our little scratch tickets and bring them to our Christmas celebrations or that your dad, whenever he is hosting, comes up with holiday games for us to play. I'm such a nerd. I love that so much. But it is, it's the time to be thinking about who who are we going to be inviting this year and how are we going to set that up? And with the inviting well, I think that we, just like last year, we are in a position where we have to talk about safety and precautions. That might mean that you're saying things like, we really want to be able to see everyone. However, we're only comfortable with fully vaccinated guests at this point. Or it might be saying something like everyone is welcome for the big meal. However, we are going to ask that unvaccinated folks please wear masks. These are the kinds of things that we are unfortunately still in the position of needing to talk about and needing to outline for folks. And outlining ahead of time is the way to go. And I know for some folks – those could be really difficult conversations. We've heard from other question askers on this show before that sometimes this does not go well. I would be really careful with 
how I issue these invitations in terms of the method. You know, we, we saw someone have a, a tough interaction via text message at one point. It might be that a phone call is the easier, uh, more gentle way to explain some of these boundaries. It might be that the, the mass email to the whole family is the way to go because it lets people react on their own or figure out their own either ability or willingness to participate the way that you're asking them to participate. And it might be that the text message is the right way to go. You never know. But really taking the time to think about it and inviting well is is important for this particular holiday and especially during this this pandemic year. I think a big part of that inviting well also involves the next step in the process, mm-hmm. which is having some idea of the nature of the event and what you want the event to look like so that the invitation can include some direction yes. for people about any particulars that that might be important. And maybe it's that they don't forget to bring that incredible creamy cauliflower with the ham oh, that they bring every year, but just people dish. really count on it. So <laughs> you want to be sure that you're not going to try something different this year, or it might be that change is afoot mm-hmm. and that you you want to talk about ahead of time the ways that people will participate so they've got lots of time to get ready. And if you are my mother 10 years ago hosting a nearly 30-person Thanksgiving every year, you don't just delegate the uh, the food that people might be able to bring. And and just as a reminder, when we say delegate the food that, that people might be bringing or what they might be contributing to the meal – It's not so much that you tell people, here's a recipe, you have to make this. In fact, that's not the way to go. But you give people options, like we're looking for these types of side dishes, or we were really hoping you might be willing to contribute to a dessert. Does that seem like something that's in your wheelhouse? Unless it's Maureen's cauliflower, because then we're going to tell her exactly (laughs) what to make. (laughs) Maureen, make that cauliflower dish. And she's so wonderful because she makes two separate versions, one for the vegetarians and one for the meat eaters. It's She's awesome. She's awesome. Um, But you do, you want to allow for some flexibility. And that also brings us to our next point, which is that just because you are the host and we want to give the host quite a lot of control and, and quite a lot of agency in this situation because you are the host. You also want to be flexible. You want to try to roll with it. When someone says, oh, gosh, you know, we're actually driving up and we've got X, Y, and Z going on the days before the holiday. Do you think we could just pick up a pie at the store? Roll with it. Say yes. I'm sure that store-bought pie is going to be great. And next year you can you can have, you know, plans for the homemade one. But I think that it's it's important to try to think about these sort of derangements or suggestions that might come your way when you make a suggestion for what someone might bring or how the holiday might work. And it doesn't mean you have to go with the flow on everything, but you want to have polite ways to decline something. Oh, well, you know, I can totally understand where you might be thinking that bringing a whole lasagna to Thanksgiving just adds more to the meal. But I think we're going to be covered with the turkey and all the sides this year. If they end up bringing the lasagna anyway, roll with it. You know what I mean? We're going to keep it pleasant. Is that what you're saying? I think we're going to try to keep it pleasant. (laughs) It's a good reminder. That no matter what comes up, whether it's people supporting you or let's just say rubbing against the grain, perhaps, Mm -hmm. that ultimately the idea is that you're doing this for the sake of getting together, honoring each other, building and growing relationships and every effort that you can make to keep that experience as pleasant as possible for everyone is ultimately, I think, the 
the biggest picture umbrella piece of etiquette that we can give. Once upon a time, this particular piece of advice was centered around a particular question that we used to get asked almost every year. Do you remember, Lizzie Vos, what was a very typical holiday dinner question that it's been a couple years I'm, that we haven't been asked? I'm stumped, but I think it might be, what do you do when people show up with extra guests or extra food that you weren't planning on, that sort of thing? Is it is it the extra question? Close. Oh. I, I was thinking about the, how do I talk politics at the... Oh. My holiday dinner table. Yes, you are so right. Or that how do I avoid talking politics at the holiday dinner table? That is and one I, of our biggest. I, I <laughs> thinking to myself how much easier it's going to be to keep it pleasant if you've had all of your discussions about masks and vaccinations ahead of time. Okay. That in some way we might be setting up the scenario where you get through all of the political conversations a month, a month and a half before you actually get together. That in some ways that... uh Just discussing the setup gets you there. Yeah. Exactly. Have set up to to get you through the door are going to homogenize the crowd just a little bit. The other thing that I'm remembering is a not fair question to ask you in some ways is that it was a maybe two years ago now that we started talking about how we weren't getting so many political questions yeah. about um, conversations at the family dinner table. And I think Part of that was a political environment where those questions seemed to be more and more fraught and more and more difficult. And I think people were naturally avoiding them yep. more yep. or were just sequestering themselves. Or it's not an election and year. <laughs> exactly. And and I think with the pandemic layered on top of that reality, it's been a while since we've heard that question about talking politics at the dinner table. And in some ways, I'm hoping maybe it's going to make it easier to keep it pleasant this year. Whoever you are inviting to your table or to your house, whether it's for the night or the weekend, we really hope that as a host, you can feel confident and comfortable gathering your family and friends for the holiday season well. We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. And today, we have a salute from Mackenzie. I want to give a salute to a woman who lifted my soul. The other day, I was unloading my two small children out of a car at the local Target. While I was strapping my baby into my carrier, a woman stopped to tell me how beautiful my children were. I told her thank you while still struggling with the straps, clips, and baby body parts. She then complimented my daughter, who was standing next to me, at how well she was waiting, and then looked at me and said, You are doing such important work. The way she looked at me and the way she said those words was almost more powerful than the words themselves. Her sincerity caused me to really stop and feel what she was offering me. I had been deeply struggling and feeling successful in my role as a mother. Everything had been feeling almost insurmountably hard. It is difficult to describe how seen and encouraged this stranger made me feel. Sometimes I wonder if she was perhaps not a stranger, but an angel sent from above. Either way, I want to salute her kindness. Mackenzie. Mackenzie, thank you so much for that salute. Dan, as a parent, I'm sure that you can imagine how unbelievably amazing it must feel to have someone observe you as a parent and give you credit for it just a total random stranger that must be just like i i i can picture mackenzie feeling like a superhero after hearing that i am sitting here listening to 
Pooja and the girls dancing down in the kitchen to some music they're playing while they make lunch. And I'm thinking to myself, I really want to take this salute down and share it with Pooja. Aww. Mackenzie, thank you so much for this salute. And thank you for listening. And thank you to everyone who sent us something and everyone who supports us on Patreon. Please connect with us and share this show with friends, family, and coworkers any way that you like to share podcasts. You can send us your next question, feedback, or salute by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a message or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. Please consider becoming a sustaining member, where memberships start at just a dollar a month by visiting us at patreon.com slash awesomeetiquette. You can also subscribe to the ads version of our show on Spotify or your favorite podcast app. And please consider leaving us a review. It helps our show ranking, which helps more people find Awesome Etiquette. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine and assistant produced by Bridget Dowd. Thanks, Thanks Chris, Chris and Bridget. And Bridget.